Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Hello and welcome to another episode of Let Sleeping Dogs Lie, the comedy trivia show of answering questions and questioning answers. I'm your host, Spencer Hamilton, and I'll be awarding points to our two teams based on how well they know trivia and how good they are at lying. In Let Sleeping Dogs Lie, an incorrect answer is worth just as many points as a correct one. At least, as long as our players can trick the other team into believing it. Now let's meet tonight's panel. Hello and good evening everyone. Welcome to Let Sleeping Dogs Lie, the hilarious game show of answering questions and uh, question <laughs> and questioning answers. You got it, Pat. Uh, I, I we have believe- a sub-host and he's already losing it. <laughs> I when I when I called this comedy show hilarious, I got laughs of derision from the people in the show. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> the the acceptable show of <laughs> answering questions and Adequate. Questions. Uh, I am not Spencer Hamilton, the usual host. My name is Patrick Conley, and I'll be filling in. I'm basically the prequel to Spencer Hamilton, oh. uh, and we'll get to why that's important in just a moment. But first, <laughs> let's go ahead and meet both of our teams. Uh, first off, uh, to my right. We have our first team uh, with our team captain, Ali Stark. Hi. Hi, Ali. I'm, hi. <laughs> I thought you were asking how I was, and I was like, oh, I'm good, but you didn't ask. Oh. That's what Spencer would do, Allie. Oh, so That's what Spencer is, would do. Is that what Spencer would do? We have a different host this week, so who knows what's going to happen. I don't care how people are doing I care what people are doing. Uh, what's up? Hi, yes, I'm the captain, Allie Stark. Oh, good. I'm very happy to be here. How's captaining? It, it's so far, I think it's going well so far. Okay. <laughs> And uh, also right next to you on the bench is Daryl Monty. Hi. How are you, Daryl? I'm doing great. I'll do your job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, and uh, Daryl, more important question: What are you doing? What What am I doing? In general, right? <laughs> what are you doing with your life, Daryl? Daryl, what have you become? Okay, you've single-handedly ushered in an existential crisis. <laughs> freaked out. Move well, on. Daryl figures out who and what he is. Oh, we're going to our last panelist on this on this team, which is Jesse Gomez. Jesse, what are you? I'm wearing a blazer. <laughs> <laughs> and he feels good about it. All right. Uh, and then uh, now, uh, uh, team to my right, uh, now that I've uh, so thoroughly, competently interviewed you all, uh, what's your team name? It is ET2 ET Nocturnal Beers. ET2 Nocturnal Beers. Nocturnal Beers. Cool. And uh, at this point, uh, I should... Uh, well, we'll get to why that's important in a moment. Wait, wait, uh, Pat, you know, Pat, Spencer yeah. would probably make a very cutting remark at yes. that title, so you should probably do your best Spencer yeah. cutting remark. Oh, uh, good job, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Pat. Thank you so much. That, that's on that cut deep. That hurt. <laughs> wow. You know, I, I watch a lot of these shows uh, from, the, uh, from the back of the room, and so just knowing that that's a shorter title that doesn't embarrass me as the host makes me very happy, so I'm just relieved. Good. Spencer's going to be hugely jealous. <laughs> All right, uh, team number two, uh, let's come to our team captain, Sammy Tamimi. Hello, everyone. Uh, and it says here on my... Uh, How are uh, you doing, Sammy? I'm doing fine. Pat's going to read the titles I wrote for both you and I, but he never read yours. Would you like to share what Allie's title was? Yes, uh, uh, Captain Allie Stark of uh, ET2 Nocturnal Beers is Allie Stark. Queen in the North. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, uh, even though you're on the south side of the stage tonight. Uh, and uh, uh, Team Two Captain Sammy Tamimi, the idiot prince. <laughs> That's right. We, we always got to be opposing. We are always opposing. Now, uh, uh, Sammy, uh, what are you? 
I am half Filipino, half Arabic. <laughs> uh, and interestingly enough, growing up, my mother added rice to every meal. Whether it was a hamburger, a hot dog, mm-hmm. steak, I had rice with every meal growing up. And my body has paid for it ever since. <laughs> That's a wonderful bit of insight into the world of Sammy Tamimi. <laughs> <laughs> There's the cutting remark. There we go. <laughs> I, I'm always being genuine. Oh, now I feel terrible. Uh, but to your right is uh, Miles Potter. Miles, uh, what's up? Hey, nothing. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is he just gonna what's up? <laughs> nothing. Let's go. Cool. I'm learning as I'm going. I'm just seeing what works. He'll <laughs> find it by the end. He'll find hope, it by the yeah, end. My, yeah, my hope is by the end of tonight's show, I know how to introduce contestants. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, uh, uh, just good day? Yeah, good day. Nice. Hell of a good day. We'll uh, never know what Miles is, though. We will only will, know yeah. how he is. I will never say it. Yeah. And uh, uh, Natalie Younger, uh, on, all the way at the uh, very end of uh, yeah. the, the team number two. Uh, uh, who are you? <laughs> who are you? Oh, oh man. Oh, I'm an amalgamation of, uh, of uh, some really uh, patient parents. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Yeah. You know, a round of applause for Natalie's parents, everybody, for yeah. being a patient. Yeah. Woo. And uh, team two, uh, what is your team name? Apocalypse Later. <laughs> Apocalypse Later, as it's going to take me all to write this so that works out. Lips. Lay. You could do an eight instead of later. And you may wonder. Oh, too late. Uh, but the reason that these team names are ET2, Nocturnal Beers, and Apocalypse Later is because tonight's theme for Let Sleeping Dogs Lie is movies that have sequels. Yes. Yay. Yes. Trick, trick, trick. All right, and uh, I'd like to also thank Apocalypse Later for choosing a uh, team name that does not directly insult me and doesn't take more than a few seconds to say. So uh, 20 points to both teams. Before oh, we- we're already winning, everybody! Yeah. Already in the tie. All right. <laughs> Wait, so- Pat, I also got 50 points before the show started. Oh, yes, uh, Jesse and I are wearing the same shoes, so Jesse personally has 50 points. Oh my gosh, it's yeah, real. Gonna... Wow, what Amazing. great audio content for yeah. our podcast. <laughs> uh, for, for those of you who, who, uh, who are listening at home and cannot see our shoes, uh, they're both uh, giant uh, red clown shoes that make yeah. noises when we walk on them. Um, all right, so uh, this first question is going to be for uh, team number one, uh, ET2 Nocturnal Beers. Oh. All right, so question one. Richard Donner's 1978 film Superman was full of iconic performances, special effects, and a weird poem that really derails the whole movie for about three minutes. Uh, While it's tough to imagine anyone but Christopher Reeve in those blue tights, he wasn't even on the original shortlist of actors that DC approved. Originally, they had several very specific actors in mind, including Al Pacino, Clint Eastwood, and Dustin Hoffman. But at the top of their list, surprisingly, was someone who had almost no acting experience at all. When offered a screen test, he politely declined, remarking he didn't feel he was right for the part. But that didn't end his relationship with Superman. In fact, the same year the movie was released, he appeared as himself alongside Superman in a one-off issue of Superman's comic book. What celebrity turned down the role of Superman only to share top billing in a comic book that same year? All right, ET2 Nocturnal Beers. Uh, 
Go ahead and tell us what celebrity turned down the role of Superman only to share top billing in a comic book that same year. Yeah, I know this one. Uh, only because I read his uh, autobiography recently. Um, actually, I listened to it on Audible. Uh, the thing. actor who turned down the role because he did not want to shave his mustache was Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck, ooh. Excellent. Well, look, it says, what celebrity, not actor, if, uh, if I remember the question correctly that we just asked. Yeah, uh, as, as it says on the screens and as I said out loud, uh, what celebrity, but that could also be an actor. Mm. Actors are celebrities. Uh, I mean, not, not in the 70s. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm an actor. Yeah, you're and a celebrity. celebrity. Oh, oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh. This is so much be- better than how you all treat Spencer. I'm loving this. <laughs> ten points to Pad. Yeah, oh, ten yeah. points to Pad. Yeah. Let's be very to sweet to Pad so Spencer gets <laughs> jealous. Yeah, I hope he like listens to this before it comes out and just like cries. <laughs> <laughs> And Softly. edits all of this out. All right, so Tom Selleck, who is iconic for his mustache. Didn't want to shave it. Duh. Didn't want to shave it. Even though this would be the, his biggest role. Yes. Because this is pre-Magnum. Okay. Not as big as his mustache. Yeah, think about, I think so. he knew that the mustache would be more iconic. Like, I need to keep this because this is my money maker. He also had a great deal of role preparation to do for three men and a baby. So, like, from 1978 until roughly 83, when that movie came out, he was preparing himself to share parental duties with two other grown men for a single mm-hmm. child. Ted Danson. Yeah. And, and Steve, uh, Steve Gutenberg. And a baby. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, a baby. and a ghost. Uh, do you know who that baby is? If Ooh. It's, if it's not the baby from Labyrinth, I don't care. <laughs> I was that baby. Uh, oh, oh. you're very. You look very I young. I too am a celebrity <laughs> and an actress. Uh, I'd like to have a follow-up question for Daryl. What oh. exactly? In t- and during this five years of preparation, what exactly is the routine that he got into to repair himself? It's very method, it seems. Sure, uh, it, drinking a lot of whiskey and playing golf. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's it. That's it. That sounds like did, how you raise a baby. Did the question say that he was later? Uh, in the movie as himself was in, 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 in the comic book. He himself in a comic oh. book with Superman. What? Okay. Right. What was the name of the uh, uh, com- the comic book issue that featured oh. Tom Selleck for twenty as points? Superman and Tom Selleck. <laughs> <laughs> Colon two men and a baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesse, those uh, eyes are killing me. <laughs> uh, no, it was actually called Cryptomite. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Uh, right, uh, oh, okay. I don't know how to. I don't know how Spencer would award points for that. <laughs> he would, he would, follow he your would heart. Follow Dad. your heart. Follow how your would heart, you? Whatever you do is right. Okay, uh, I'm going to give uh, myself another ten points for having to listen to that. <laughs> Whoa, we're in the wow. tyranny of power. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, I, w- so I would dare we, say we, that they are lying. Oh, man, we have an alternate answer, but I just want to say, when you said Cryptomite, it made me think of Jimmy Walker, who, <laughs> who did, like, I think he was up for a role in some sort of Superman-associated mm. uh, thing, but not for Superman the movie. Okay, so, but, you're, so you're saying the answer is not Tom Selleck? No. All right, uh, what do you think the answer is? Bruce Jenner? We think the answer is Bruce Jenner. <laughs> is, is Bruce Jenner? Yeah. Oh, he, uh, laughed. he laughed. Well, he laughed. He <laughs> laughed. Well, I'm insulted. He was, uh, you know, a gold medal winner, uh, very famous, very fit. Uh, the shocking thing is, the person you're thinking of is also a gold medal winner, also very famous, also very fit, but not Bruce Jenner. It was Muhammad Ali. Oh! Wow. Wow. 
Wow. So great. That would have been a good cast. That would have been so good. I I know the comic now. Now I know the comic. And unfortunately, that performance is going to have to live on in our imaginations. Uh, Now, uh, even though uh, he didn't uh, star in Superman the movie, uh, he did share top billing in 1978's Superman vs. Muhammad Ali, Mm -hmm. The Fight to Save Earth from the Star Warriors. (laughs) Uh, so uh, awesome. I, I'll give I'll give partial credit to uh, to Team Apocalypse later for of uh, uh, five points for, for right. getting uh, a gold medalist. Jesse, uh, put that face away. But I would like to say that you did say that you would give twenty points to ET two if they gave you the title of that comic book. You didn't say it had to be right. So Woo! I'm going to give your team's twenty points Miles. to ET two. Miles. So uh, I'm trying to win over Pad points here. To five. <laughs> That's right. All right. Uh, this next question is going to be for Apocalypse later. Hey Pad, uh, can oh, I yeah. just say something? Yeah. Uh, you look. So much better in those shoes than Jesse does. Oh, right. So that's another okay, 10 that, points to me for having I great mean, shoes. I mean, Pat, really, you're following for that? And better than those, Spencer those. Wood. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the, the, there's the t- points for Apocalypse later. <laughs> yes. Another tip. Natalie, you know I can't defend myself, right? <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't disagree with you that. You are both three men and a baby. <laughs> All right, so uh, this next question is going to be for Apocalypse Later. Uh, In 1979, Ridley Scott's masterpiece, Alien, spawned a whole franchise of spooky sci-fi, immediately capturing America's hearts by bursting through its chests. That's a reference to the film's most iconic moment in which John Hurt eats some bad spaghetti, says, Mamma mia, I don't feel so good, and is punished for his offensive accent. Oh, boy. Uh, that type of raw emotion is only possible from a great actor like Hurt, but it's the performance the rest of, the, of the rest of the crew that really makes the scene work. What did really Scott do to get the most out of the other actors in that scene? You're a All right, Apocalypse Later. What did Ridley Scott do to get the most out of the other actors in that scene? Ridley Scotch did not tell (laughs) the other actors that the alien was going to pop out of its chest so that their reactions would be genuine. He did not tell the other actors that the alien was going to pop out of the chest. What do we think? Where, did, where did he tell them that it was going to pop out of? <laughs> he didn't tell them about the movies. But if that's part of the scene, it's like, okay, this is the scene, an alien's going to pop out, be surprised, and they're like, where's it going to happen? Where's it going to happen? Because like, you go to a haunted house, and you know it's going to happen, and you don't know from where. So I understand You that. literally just justified our answer. So <laughs> well, you, you know there's going to be a scare, but you don't know exactly where. He or didn't tell what them. it is. Yeah. Like, yeah, when you go to the thought, house, yeah but know. the movie is called Alien. So like, and they didn't know what's when it, it going to be? Out? What's well, going to pop out of the chest? How do they know where to look? A pair of nice brown like leather shoes? Focus. They were soft focus in the room. Until it popped, and then they saw Did that. Did it make a pop? Yeah. Like yeah, once you pop, the fun don't stop. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really cool snap, Miles. Thank you. That was really good. I'm impressed. Uh, thank you. Uh, for, those, for those at home, he managed to snap uh, uh, one snap using both hands at the, <laughs> at the same time. How many haunted houses have you been to, Allie? Uh, two. Don't, don't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the same haunted house. I was scared in the ch- as a child in that haunted house, and I, I froze, and I had to get escorted out. And then as an adult, I decided to face my fear and go back. Did you freeze again? No, I, <laughs> no a little. <laughs> what is the scariest thing in the haunted house for you? 
Well, as a child, I remembered them actually grabbing me. Oh, that's no bueno anymore. And like, and I think they did do that, and that's what I was so scared of, because I I remember seeing them like pulling kids into like rooms and stuff, and I was like, oh, that's scary. What? You also have to remember it. Allie's a celebrity, so they knew that she was in Three Men and a Baby. Right. They're trying they, to steal me. Yeah. 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 yeah, Just like in that movie when yeah. they stole a baby. And that's what happened, right? That's no. exactly what happened. <laughs> but then as an adult, they weren't, they weren't touching me, so it wasn't as scary. Yeah, you lost your appeal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do it, Padge. You know you're feeling it. You're feeling it. I, I think I'm just going to move on. <laughs> uh, I respect uh, that choice, Pat. (laughs) So uh, ET2, Nocturnal Beers, uh, do we think they're telling the truth or do we think they're lying? No, we think no. We're very confident, no, that is wrong. Oh, so you do not think that. uh, that, uh, You all said that basically that he didn't tell them where the alien was going to pop out of. What do we think think he did do to get the best performance out of his actors? He showed them pictures of their family members and told them that if they didn't act scared... (laughs) that something bad was going to happen. Mm-hmm. But he didn't specify what. Yeah, they didn't know where the bad was going to happen. Oh, my or when. God. <laughs> or when. Well, uh, ri- so Rar Scotch was a... <laughs> Ridley Scotch. Ridley Scotch. Scotch. Warshack. Yeah. <laughs> was a basically a kidnapper. Yeah. Yes. Just uh, like the people in the haunted house right. when I was a child. Yes. But they didn't take you. They were all working together. It turns yeah. out that uh, Ridley Scotch did not work in a haunted house uh, in Allie's hometown. Uh, but he also... Uh, didn't tell them what was going to happen. Oh my uh, the script simply said, the thing emerges. Uh, so uh, Ridley Scotch kept the practical effect a secret from all the actors on set, and then the blood and guts, which were actually made of cow organs, clams, and oysters, uh, burst from the chest cavity, and one of the actors was so shocked that uh, she passed out right on the spot. So, points to Apocalypse Later for getting the correct answer yeah. on that one. Nerd no, knowledge. Yeah. I hope no one on that set was allergic to shellfish if, like, all these mollusks goo was just popping out of a chest cavity. That's probably <laughs> right why she passed mouth. out. Yeah. <laughs> she died. Uh, makes uh, sense. I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, we're going to go on to uh, question number three. This is for ET2 uh, Nocturnal Beers. Uh, for almost 40 years, the title uh, belt for America's hottest professor has been held by Dr. Indiana Jones. Mm. Yum, yeah. yum. Uh, Indy first cracked his famous whip in the 1981 film Raiders of the Lost Ark, which features Nazis, rolling boulders, and a literal face-melting solo from the Ark of the Covenant. Raiders of the Lost Ark was the brainchild of two of film's greatest content producers, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. Lucas, of course, is also the writer-director behind Star Wars, which began at Saga with 1977's A New Hope. While Star Wars and Indiana Jones may at first glance uh, to appear in galaxies far apart, they share some common origins. Which character in Star Wars was inspired by the same thing that inspired the character of Indiana Jones? And what was the inspiration? First, just to show how good Spencer is at hosting the show, uh, he's just got 10 points for the choice of that song uh, as the lead into this question. All right, uh, so E.T., Nocturnal Beers, uh, which character in Star Wars was inspired by the same thing Mm -hmm. that inspired the character of Indiana Jones, and what was that inspiration? Okay, 
one, this question is a lot of questions. It's a lot of questions. It's a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say a lot of words, and I, I hope you track. Okay. There's, okay there, there's a dog. Uh-huh. A dog named Indiana. Okay. Childhood dog. Yes. Fluffy big dog. Sure. Big dog becomes Chewbacca. Right? Mm-hmm. And then Indiana. An yeah. Cool. And Indiana is named Indiana. The dog is Indiana Jones. So it's a dog. Okay, so, uh, so a dog named Indiana, big and fluffy, inspired Chewbacca. Yes. Uh, named Indiana, inspired Indiana. Indiana. Okay. Apocalypse Later. Did do you we, track? Do, did we, a, oh, we track. A, a, did you follow? And B, yeah. uh, go ahead and, uh, and uh, hit, hit us with your question. A, yes. B, go ahead. <laughs> uh, what, what kind of dog was it? A big fluffy one. I said that. Wow, you don't know. You can't tell me like what it was. A, like if it was a I don't, mutt. I don't it was, know like, dogs. Like, it is a, it, it's a. Was a, it a show dog? It's a big, a big fluffy one. Did I the dog guess, win? I would guess brown because that's the color of Chewbacca. Um, it was a good boy. It was a good dog. <laughs> it was a good boy. Its name that's was Indiana. That's all I needed to know. Is a good boy. It it's had a, a boy. collar and it played fetch with both a stick and a ball. Okay, I what? Imagine, was it a dog? Was it a doggo? Was it a pupper? Or was it a pupperino? Ooh. Uh, I would say <laughs> it's a dog. Okay. All right, I'm gonna name an actor, and I'd just like to hear like the dog breed you think would inspire that actor in their yep. roles. <laughs> so, like, if I said like Al Pacino. Yeah, that would be a dog, a little dog, a littler dog, um, a feisty dog. Al Pacino would be an Italian greyhound. Wow. Oh, wow. You know yeah. what? As a mother of an Italian greyhound, I disagree. Uh, <gasps> oh. I would say that that would be more of an like, Alan Rickman. <laughs> oh. Maybe your Italian greyhound. You know Sean Bean. Sean Bean. Mm, a dog, a dog, a, <laughs> yeah, a medium-sized sh- dog, a shaggy dog. Uh, yeah, ha- I, I think I'm the collar. dog expert on this panel, so <laughs> I'll go ahead and take this one. Uh, Sean Bean would be a chocolate lab. Ooh. As uh, uh, somebody who once fostered a chocolate <laughs> lab mix, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that's more of a Dame Judy Dench. Maybe that chocolate lab mix. <laughs> Who thinks that real tent? Mm. <laughs> oh, do another one. This Gene Wilder. <laughs> oh. Golden Doodle. I have no oh. argument with that at all. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, I don't know how to award points for that, but I'm going to figure it out in the. Uh, but in the meantime, Apocalypse Later. Uh, what do you think? Are they telling the truth or are they lying? No. That's uh, that was an inclusive. They are neither telling the truth or lying. They're lying, that's, but like they don't know <laughs> that. <laughs> it's not their fault. Just yeah. like that baby in Three Men and a Baby, yeah. she was left behind by the mother. Uh, oh. No, no judgment. Uh, the this is this might be a little bit of a stretch, but this is tickling my brain. Uh, so George Lucas. Well, <laughs> Natalie uh, was uh, a big fan of the old Republic serials in the 1940s. Those movies that, like, you know, the black and white they played before films, and you oh, watch them yeah. in different films. And the Rocketeer was a huge inspiration for Star Wars, and also kind of like, he's kind of like a roguish character because I could also see that inspiring something in radars, ra- radars, radars. Uh, ra- <laughs> God dang it! Uh, so I think uh, the Rocketeer. The Rocketeer. So then Boba Fett. Boba Fett as well. well and, and, and Boba no, Fett. Well, 
the rocket. Sure, sure, sure. Well, you have to name a character in Star Wars. So I was. No, it was, they were inspired by the same thing that was inspired. But it's oh, yeah, inspired yeah, it's by a character. Boba Fett. Boba Fett. I trust my teammates so much. I, I literally <laughs> just named my favorite character. <laughs> God dang it. Uh, uh, Natalie, that was a, a, a very brave choice. Uh, however, the That's actual answer is choice. the character was yeah! Chewbacca. Named Indiana, Lucas was quoted as saying, "I had an Alaskan Malamute, uh, which is a big fluffy dog, uh, when I was writing the film. A very sweet dog. She'd always uh, sit next to me when I was writing, and when I drive around, she'd sit in the front seat. A Malamute is a very large dog, like a hundred and thirty. A big pounds. dog. A big dog. A big fluffy dog. Uh, bigger than a human being and very long-haired. Uh, having her with me all the time inspired me to give Han Solo a sidekick who was like a big fluffy dog. A big fluffy dog. Uh, not quite, uh, like, uh, not quite like a dog, but intelligent. So truly, uh, the dog's name was Indiana. So that is uh, thirty points to uh, Nocturnal Beers. Oh, Sammy's 30. so mad. Yeah. Sammy is so mad. He's fuming because, because Ellie was so was confabulating that so. It was uh, uh, that was for the applied knowledge and for basically that being like three or four different questions in yeah. one for that. For, so uh, yeah. for ET nocturnal beers. Uh, moving on to the next question. This is for Apocalypse <gasps> Later. Hell yeah! Uh, in the late 1960s and That's early 70s, one. Kurt Russell was a huge box office star for the Walt Disney Company, proving to be a reliable draw even for low budget comedies like The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. It's tough to picture him as anything but an action star today, but when casting occurred for 1981's Escape from New York, he had to work hard to shed that goofy Disney image to beat out uh, Charles Bronson and Tommy Lee Jones for the role of Snake Plissken. He won the part by pitching the character as a cross between Bruce Lee, Darth Vader, and Clint Eastwood. <laughs> yep. uh, on set, he would never break character, trying to prove that he could be taken seriously as both an action star and an actor. Well... Sometimes he broke character, but he had a good reason. Why did Kurt Russell find himself forced to break character as Snake Plissken? All right, Apocalypse Later. Why did Kurt Russell find himself forced to break character as Snake Plissken? Uh, I just want to make one correction to that question, if I may. He did do a serious role. He, did, he played Elvis in Graceland in the 70s. He did play Elvis in Graceland. I am going to award a, uh, a single bonus point he for was, that. He was very uh, good in it, and he was a serious actor. Oh, my gosh, Sammy, you got one point. Yes. Yeah. Whoa. Wow. 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 Did the sun go away, or was that shade? <laughs> wow. I got 50 for lacing up some shoes today. Well, yeah, that's, but you're not that's so special. I, I would like to remind uh, both teams that those 50 points yeah. are only just... He would ask for talcum powder to be put in his trousers because he wore like those tight leather pants the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, so anytime he had to basically go to the bathroom, he would have to break character. Cool, so anytime, hey. he, had to, uh, uh, anytime he had to take his pants on or off, he had to uh, get talcum powdered. Not a very Snake Plissken move. Uh, what do we think, E.T. Nocturnal Beers? So I think I should get one point for knowing that Gary Busey played Buddy Holly in the Buddy Holly story. <laughs> That's one Sammy's just <laughs> He just demanded a point and got it. <laughs> Wait, if we're, on the, if we're on the topic of points, else. Jamie Foxx uh, played Ray Charles. So. <laughs> That's another point for E.T. right there. If we're on the topics of points. points, I played Fagin in Oliver when I was 12. All right. That's Celebrity. When I was the baby and three men and a baby. Wow, wow. 
I don't know if we can use that due to uh, IP laws. But. I don't want to. I don't want to derail this conversation anymore. But since we have someone who was there on the set of Three Men on a Baby, mm-hmm. uh-huh. was there or wasn't there a ghost of a suicided boy oh on that cast? A on, suicided? Oh, yeah. Did you just use suicided as a yeah. verb? Past sure. tense. <laughs> Well, I was a baby. Um, well, babies as are we sensitive. all know, babies can see spirits and see ghosts. Um, they're very in tune with like the aura and the vibes. And <laughs> yeah, there definitely was a ghost. Yeah. Can confirm. Can confirm. As the baby. Someone called TMC. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, back to the question. <laughs> <laughs> You're Speaking doing of a great powder, job, Pat. Uh, uh, ET2 Nocturnal Beers. Uh, did Kurt Russell uh, have to get uh, a little, uh, little baby powder every time he took his pants on and off? Okay, I just have a question about sure. this. Okay, so why couldn't he stay in character taking off his pants? I can stay in character taking off my pants. All right, all right, enough. <laughs> <laughs> He wasn't as renowned as a dramatic actor as at that point as you were as the baby in Three Men and a Baby. How is well? What I'm wondering also is how is that out of character for Snake to not want to chafe? Right, would Snake like, ask or would Snake just snakes, say snakes, or demand? Yeah, yeah. hate chafing. But, but Kurt couldn't demand that. Let as me pr- let me propose this. You're asking Snake to escape from New York, but in your situation, he can't escape out of his pants? Yeah, which is, why, which is why it was breaking character to ask for help. I'm sorry, have you seen the episode of Friends where <laughs> Ross wears the leather pants and he just gets stuck in the yes. bathroom because he takes... that? It's that. You can but he see does Snake it Plissken. on his own. Also, Kurt Russell... ever gets him back up. <laughs> uh, Kurt Russell also asked it like this. Can you help me with my pants? <laughs> So Jesse, you want to laugh? I saw it. Yeah. I mean, it really just it was shattered. Funny. It shattered that character to its core to ask for help pulling up his damn man pants. Okay. It's a lie. Such a lie. So, ET2 is saying it's a lie. Uh, ET2 Nocturnal Beers, what do we think? Uh, oh, so why did Kurt Russell uh, find himself forced to break character? All right. So, Kurt was going through management changes at the time of this movie being filmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he let go of his manager because they negotiated a very bad contract for him for this movie. So, midway through production, he has a new manager and decides to renegotiate his contract for Escape from New York. Now, Kurt knew he would lose leverage if he came into those contract negotiations as Snake Pliskin. So that's when he broke character. This is like a, a YouTube conspiracy video. I love it. <laughs> well, uh, I'll go ahead and reveal that both teams were uh, incorrect. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, but uh, he lost his depth perception. Uh, during filming, he kept his eye patch on between takes to stay in character, and after a few days, he found that his left eye had stopped focusing properly in tandem with his right. He couldn't oh, rehearse man. fight scenes or get on or off escalators. Uh, I feel like I could have gotten that. Yeah, I feel like I should have. If I had known that the character wore an eye patch, I didn't yeah. know that. But if I knew that, I think I could have guessed. I had never seen this hey, movie. Hey, Pat. Yes. Did he have problems taking off his pants? <laughs> because of his depth perception? Uh, well, part of the problem could be that they kept uh, putting talcum powder in his eye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, dang, dang. But, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, disappointed I, I'm disappointed I didn't get that as I have been on stage in an eye patch before. Because I'm a celebrity. <laughs> in an illegal production of Newsies the Musical, I played Kid Blink when I was 16. <laughs> There's a character named Kid Blink in Newsies the Musical? Yeah, he has an oh, eye patch. That seems horrible. I first played Racetrack. 
And then we did a second illegal production of it. <laughs> and then I was good boy. These sound like characters that your like, choir director just came up with. <laughs> <laughs> These sound like none of the boys had hit puberty and couldn't hit the low notes, so I played a lot of men. <laughs> this also feels like, like your director like saw Fight Club, but like I'm going to put a twist on it. <laughs> yep. Uh, all right. Uh, so uh, we're going to go on to our next question, and this is a question for ET2 Nocturnal Beers. <laughs> In Back to the Future, Marty McFly travels from the present, 1985, to the past, 1955, thanks to a time machine and some upset Libyans. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I emphasized that word that way. Uh, Marty befriends Did you his say that again? <laughs> Libyans. Uh, Marty befriends his father and mother, and in a twist, his mom falls for Marty. Gross. Uh, when the mother meets Marty in 1955 for the first time, she keeps referring to him as Calvin because he's wearing Calvin Klein underwear. Calvin Klein has been a go-to name in the fashion industry since the early 1970s. However, the company almost went bankrupt. In the mid-90s, Calvin Klein was saved from bankruptcy by the popularity of what item of clothing? Once again, without being here, Spencer has just won himself another 10 points yeah. for a great musical choice. All right. Good job, Spencer. Round of applause for Spencer, everybody. Who will never listen to this recording. All right. ET2 Nocturnal Beers. In the mid-90s, uh, Calvin Klein was saved from bankruptcy by the popularity of what item of clothing? Y'all remember Marky Mark? Ooh. That's a yes. Uh, Mark Wahlberg famously modeled a pair of uh, tighty, tight, tighty whiteies for Calvin Klein, which just, uh, I'm, just I'm sorry, I need a minute. Yep. Uh, they, they caused a hysteria amongst everyone, and uh, they saw a huge spike in sales for their tight, white underwears. So, uh, uh, Apocalypse Later, they're saying that it was uh, uh, Tidy Whitey's uh, worn by Wahlberger's founder, <laughs> Marky Mark. Uh, what do you think? Any questions? A, a quick question on the timeline. Wasn't yeah. that in the late 80s uh, for Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch? Uh, no, the, uh, the campaign was in the mid-90s, my friend. Great. I have a follow-up question. Was this before or after Mark Wahlberg committed a hate crime? Uh, I think probably during. <laughs> because... Him wearing the whitey tighty. Yeah, no, yeah. uh, I think his. I don't know the man personally, but I have a feeling he's probably committing one right now. (laughs) To a transformer, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know this is a personal question you may decline, but do you prefer boxer, boxer briefs, briefs? I I like boxer briefs. I'm an open book. Uh, Does that mean no underwear? (laughs) (laughs) That means no underwear. No underwear. He's wearing fly fly wide open. It's. (laughs) Offensive, <laughs> and I just committed a hate crime <laughs> against myself. Yep. I don't know. I wear boxers. Uh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Bonus points to both teams. <laughs> so, uh, Pat, we're gonna we're gonna say nah. Oh. Uh, because actually, that item was the sports bra coming back. 
And it was Calvin Klein started uh, started making sports bras to go with their whitey tighties, thus appealing to the female demographic. And you might know that they recently came back, and they've started doing the old school Calvin Klein uh, sports bras to go with uh, to go with the underwear. Also, I would like for bonus points to. Uh, confess that I'm currently wearing Calvin Klein underwear. Oh, congratulations. Oh. <laughs> wow. One, one bonus point to both teams. I'm not. Are any of you wearing Calvin Klein underwear? No, no I'm no. not wearing any underwear, Come on, apparently. Guys. <laughs> well, I was, I was say both teams are on the right track. Uh, ET2, Nocturnal Beers, was actually a little bit closer uh, because uh, any second now, it'll go to the next slide. There we go. Boxer briefs! Uh, created by de- designer John Varvatos, boxer briefs have been called one of the greatest apparel revolutions of the century. And they weren't so bad for Mark Wahlberg's early work either. Uh, so that's going to be uh, hey, more pa- points to auctional beers, but, but points to both teams. Yes. Pat, pa- when you said it was the greatest invention ever made, Natalie made this face <laughs> as if she... Had something to say about boxer briefs. I don't even know what face I made. I, I just want to say that is in quotes here, so someone else besides me said that. <laughs> it was like as if, have you seen a man in boxer briefs? No, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I'll take it, but uh, uh, I prefer less mystery. <laughs> Uh, why don't we? Uh, this, uh, against my better judgment, uh, let's just do a, a quick bonus round and everyone say their favorite type of underwear to either wear or just in general, uh, going down the line. So we know not boxer briefs. Oh, do I also? Should I also say? Wait, I don't understand the question. This is your favorite uh, underwear. What, what was the pinnacle of underwear design? Ooh, I'll take boxer briefs, but they have to be like the more short European ones. Short oh, European boxer briefs. Like boy shorts? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because then they're basically oh. boy shorts that also I can steal and wear. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Boxer briefs. Boxer briefs. Boxer briefs. Boxer briefs. Oh boy, the best invention of underwear. Yeah, like, like what was the pinnacle of undergarment uh, invention? Oh, petticoats. Petticoats. <laughs> Tough to argue. Love some bloomers. <laughs> uh, uh, boxer briefs with a snap fly. Oh. oh. And then, Ouch. Uh, Jesse. Basketball shorts. Lost drawstring basketball shorts. <laughs> Lost. Uh, I, Jesse got this one correct, so that's a, a bonus point. Perfect. Dude, you need to do laundry more often. <laughs> uh, uh, a close second would be uh, running shorts with built-in underwear. Oh, yeah. good call. Uh, all right, uh, this is a uh, that was fun. For, uh, for Apocalypse Later. Uh, let's see here. Uh, <gasps> I feel the need, the Keanu. need for speed. Specifically, the 1994 Keanu. Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock movie Speed. The film is the brainchild of screenwriter, uh, screenwriter Graham Yost. Uh, his original idea had the bus drive around Dodger Stadium and eventually blow up the Hollywood sign. Uh, however, once Fox Studios greenlit the project, Graham brought in another screenwriter to help with punch-ups, stories, and characters. The new screenwriter really made speed the beloved action movie it became. Who was this screenwriting superhero? We're ready. <laughs> Waste any time here because yeah. we, we paid for the song, we have to listen to the rest of it. And that is all that we paid for uh, Sammy Hagar for. Uh, all right, uh, Apocalypse Later, who was the screenwriting superhero for Speed? Love of my life, Joss Whedon. 
Ooh. In fact, he is known for he basically did most redid most of the dialogue for that movie. He's responsible for the whole pop shot thing and all the kind of fun things like uh, Alan Rookman. Like the, the jerk on the bus, kind of like, oh, he, he always plays like the bad guy. He played Cameron in uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking they about. They made him, a, he made that character a more likable person, so you'd feel bad for him, because he was just a pure, like, banker asshole before that. So Joss Whedon is responsible for, like, a lot of the chemistry and fun dialogue. Yeah, and also Buffy. And a lot of just <laughs> great female heroes. All right, so uh, Apocalypse Later says Joss Whedon and also answered most of the questions you could possibly have. Yeah, but, ask uh, just me more case, questions about Joss. Uh, do we have any uh, questions for them? Grr, arg. Yeah, I got a question. Um, if Joss Whedon was busy creating Buffy, how did he have time to punch up the speed script? Because he works with such speed. <laughs> I hated that. I hated that so much. Natalie, I love you. You know I love you, but I hated that so much. It wasn't for you, (laughs) Elle. Well, the Buffy the TV show was in the 2000s. Yeah. uh, And the Buffy movie was in the late 90s or mid-90s. Speed was in the early 90s. And so he would have been punching it up in the early 90s. He was still working on the Buffy screenplay that would get just utterly wrecked by critics before being fixed and turned into the Buffy TV show. Oh, I have a follow-up question for Natalie. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel between Angel and Buffy? Which one is better? Um, Buffy. Oh, really? I stopped watching Angel the second he literally had the demon baby. He was like the father to demon baby. And, and I guess was like, who that demon baby <laughs> was. Allie Stark, everyone! <laughs> So, Ellie, you've played a lot of famous babies. Yes. <laughs> when did you become not a baby? <laughs> when in your career were you allowed to no longer be, be an infant? Baby. Yeah, just about two months ago. Oh, my God, I feel <laughs> honored. I feel like I was what there. Would you, what would you now consider your acting range? Oh, I'm more like preteen to elderly. <laughs> <laughs> But in there, you right, know. Right, right. It's a pretty good range. Uh, so, uh, 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 ET two nocturnal beers. What do we think? Telling the truth or lying? They're telling the truth. Telling the truth. Uh, in fact, it turns out they are telling the truth. Yay! We were right. <laughs> Never tell a Joss lie Whedon, about Joss. Uh, before creating Buffy, helping the Avengers assemble, and also a uh, reference here for Flyer, Firefly. Uh, uh, Joss Whedon fixed up the speed script. Graham Yost had publicly said Joss Whedon wrote 98.9% of the, of the dialogue. We were very much in sync. It's just that I didn't write the dialogue as well as he did. So uh, give it up for Joss Whedon, everybody. Oh, Ten points to Joss Whedon. There we go. All right. Uh, this next question is for ET2 Nocturnal Beers. You've got a friend in me. Not just something I say to you all with... Uh, uh, this is... Okay. Not just... It's all about delivery, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> This is actually a really well-written question, and I just completely ruined it. Take two, take two. Take two? From from, from the top, let's do it. From the top, we'll edit this out. You got a friend in me. Not just something I say to all you sweet little ragamuffins on stage with me, (laughs) but also the iconic theme song of Pixar's Toy Story. Toy Story was the first smash hit from Pixar, and the first feature-length computer-animated film to boot. Uh, Woody, Buzz, and the gang have uh, have all gone to become some of Disney's most recognizable characters, starring in several sequels, thousands of pieces of merchandise, and recently, their own section of Disney World's Hollywood Studios. The film wasn't always considered a potential hit, however, with an early draft of the script sent to Disney in November 1903 being deemed unwatchable and uh, and requiring major rewrites from Pixar. What was different about this early draft of Toy Story that caused Disney to call it unwatchable? 
It took me longer to screw that cat back on than I thought. Okay, ET2, Nocturnal Beers. What was different about the early draft of Toy Story that caused Disney to call it unwatchable? Uh, so the working name for the character who ultimately became Buzz Lightyear was Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong? <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. We'll pass that on to Apocalypse later. Uh, what do we think? What is it about Neil Armstrong that makes him unwatchable? Are you not well, American? Well, did they were people... going to use the real Neil Armstrong, yeah. and oh, did, kids they... just <laughs> didn't latch on to him. It was, there was a continuity issue with all of the other characters being animated and then a real-life <laughs> Neil Armstrong inserted into the movie. It was quite literally unwatchable. Unwatchable. Sir, right. sir, I would like to direct you to Mary Poppins, the original movie, when they go into the Sammy, cartoon. stop pointing at me. I feel <laughs> <laughs> Sir, sir, I demand... <laughs> No, it can be done correctly, right? Like in Mary Poppins or Who Framed Roger Rabbit when they have like or live cool action world. along. <laughs> but this one was no good. And and I mean, it made Neil Armstrong sensitive because when they got the the screeners back, they're like, "Oh, they looked like they faked it." <laughs> oh, but... <laughs> right. so apocalypse later. Uh, what do we think? Are they telling the truth or are they lying? They are lying. They are lying. What do we think the real answer is? Uh, so I... You want me? Yeah. Uh, so I can answer. I'm sure. All right. <laughs> we can't decide who wants to be right right now. Okay. Uh, the correct answer is that in the original draft, Woody was a bad guy. Ooh. And that was just... It was too... It, was, it didn't work. Also, fun fact, they almost lost the movie, but luckily someone had taken a copy of it home on their computer on a hard drive and it saved thousands of hours and possibly losing the movie. Uh, that is correct. That's good. I'm going to give a bonus point to uh, uh, Apocalypse Later for that applied knowledge. Ooh, right one point, Sammy. Right. Lucky you. You are a mean baby. <laughs> well, it turns out the correct answer, actually, is Woody was a huge oh, asshole. Yeah. Whoa. In early drafts of the film, uh, Woody, uh, who's conceived originally as a ventriloquist dummy, was written oh, as a God. sarcastic jerk, verbally abusing Slinky Dog and ruling tyrannically over the other toys. Uh, co-writer so Andrew Stanton said he had to wind up uh, selfless in the end, so our strategy had been to make him selfish in the beginning. Disney shut down production pending a new script and requested that Pixar make the character more likable. Otherwise, no children would like or enjoy watching this character. That was even worse than I thought it was. I would yeah, a ventriloquist dummy, that is scarier than the haunted house that Terrifying. I got stuck in when I was a child before I was a celebrity as a baby and three men and the baby. <laughs> All right, I'm going to send it back over to uh, ET2, Nocturnal Beers. Uh, in 1996, uh, uh, the horror... Oh, my God, that's a long time ago. Uh, 1996, the horror genre got a reboot when Scream hit the theaters. Scream was a huge success and spawned three sequels on a, and a TV show. Part of the success of Scream, beyond killing Drew Barrymore right away, was breaking all of the traditional rules of a typical horror movie. These rules were broken by the man who helped uh, create them in the first place, Wes Craven, who became a household name thanks to his collection of Freddy Krueger uh, movies uh, in, uh, and, Nightmare in El- on, and the Nightmare on Elm Street series. That was the sound of the editor rolling the uh, reels back to uh, edit that flub out. Your question is, Outside of terrifying sexy teens, <laughs> what hobby did Wes Craven have? Oh, this question. Breaking the law, breaking the law. Breaking the law, breaking the law. Breaking the law, breaking the law. 
ATT2 Nocturnal Beers. Uh, outside of terrifying sexy teens, what hobby did Wes Craven have? He was a bird watcher. It wasn't our. It wasn't, it wasn't ours. Uh, it, it, it was, it's not your turn, but that's okay. a good question. Do you want to? Uh... Isn't it their turn? We just did the one about Toy Story. Oh, did you just see the one about Toy Story? Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna give uh, all of I'm gonna give all the points I've accrued tonight to Spencer for being a better host. Oh dang, uh, dang. All right. But, so Spencer oh. is a. Uh, Should we have ooh, to stop bullying Spencer then? Uh, uh, no, I think even more so. But yeah, oh, good. Okay. Just so you know, current Spencer. My heart is, is beating so fast. Tied for second that. place. All right, Miles. Again with that confidence. He was a bird watcher. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I'm going to turn it over to the team that should have been ask, asking questions this whole time. ET2 Nocturnal Bears. They're saying he's a bird watcher. Yeah. What's Wes Craven's favorite bird? A Ooh. raven. <laughs> Why? It's in his name. <laughs> if Wes Craven was a dog, what kind of dog would Wes Craven Ooh, be? <laughs> Okay, he would be a West Highland Terrier. Oh, why? Because it's in his name. <laughs> he is the name of terror, West Craven. Mm-hmm. That was a tagline for his how movies. How would bird watching uh, influence his horror films? Have you watched a horror film? It's mostly about watching things. Ooh. It's like like that observational POV from the murderer mm-hmm. when they're kind of stalking up on their victim mm-hmm. with. Uh, it's called Verite. People call it shaky cam nowadays, which I hate because I went to film school. And <laughs> How much I, did that cost you? <laughs> Just his dignity. I'd like to give Natalie points so I don't have to answer that question. <laughs> right, points to Too that. much. Uh, so it, it affected his film work in that he's used to watching, observing, and framing things through binoculars. Yeah, Ghostface was actually uh, the mask was inspired by uh, when like a when a bird does like that scary thing with its wings, where like its wings looks like it has a face on it. I don't think it's a mating thing. I think it's an intimidation thing. But I'm into it, so I'll also call it a mating thing. Uh, that's what that's what the design. Of- he had binoculars and would look at them really close, and they would turn quickly. And if yeah, you ever stared like a bird face on. Still so, write horror movies. So, uh, so I have a five-year-old daughter at home, and I can always tell when she's lying. <laughs> so what do we think? That's all. <laughs> I feel like that's a technique to use against Allie, who I'm pretty sure by her math of the last time she played a baby on film is five. <laughs> she can still play a, play a baby, though. Yeah. Uh, so uh, ET2 Nocturnal Beers, what do you think? Uh, we think they're lying, Aww. and we think his hobby is gardening. Ooh. Still another nature thing. So yeah. you okay, what's off. his favorite Don't beat plant? Beat yourselves up. Okay. What's his favorite plant? Good uh, question. Venus flytrap. What's his Go. favorite succulent? Oh, a succulent. A cactus. <laughs> Just an cactus. <laughs> and cactus. I have no way to verify this, uh, but uh, one. the thing I can verify is Wes Craven was an ah. avid bird watcher. No! No! Take what? That Jesse's child. She was telling the truth this whole time. You knew you thought you were lying. Yes, I never think that I'm lying. Well, I'm happy for you. I owe my daughter an apology, but you will not get one for me. Other possible, other possible answers were roller skating and people watching. (laughs) But I thought, I thought, what? What depraved mind would make Scream, what would their hobby be? Not people watching, nay, 
bird watching because bird watching is weird. Sorry, uh, bird watchers. We're upset that we're right too. <laughs> and we'd like to issue a correction. The scream mask was inspired by Edward Munch's The Scream. Oh. But also the bird, the sexy bird, <laughs> the sexy birds that Natalie's super into. Uh, it's just their wings when they look like a face. You know, one of the, this just gave me. I think one of these days we're going to edit the slides live to make a team think they got it right. And that day is not today. And that was actually great. All right, uh, moving on. This is the final question for ET2 Nocturnal Beers. In the movie, Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, Lisa Kudrow and Mira Sorvino try to sell, uh, try to sell a lie to their former classmates. They are successful businesswomen who invented Post-its. Their former frenemy, Heather Mooney, uh, played by Janine Garofalo, bursts their bubble when she exclaims that Post-its were created by Art Fry and the 3M Corporation. What was the original name of the 3M Company? All right, ET2, Nocturnal Beers, and this time I have confirmed you are the ones who yes. are giving the answer. Yes. I, I made sure I was facing the correct direction. What was the original name of the 3M company? Uh, the Miners and Millers of Minnesota. Miners and Millers of Minnesota. Yep. What do we think over here at Apocalypse Well, the, uh, I'm really disturbed right now because, Allie, as we've established... You're a baby. I am a baby. But you're you're been pounding that cider pretty hard during this show. Uh-huh. Baby likes cider. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how did the miners and millers go from mining and milling to being a paper company? Well, milling of paper, obviously. Um, so actually, 3M is still in Minnesota and headquartered in Minnesota, and they do a lot more than paper. They actually now do a lot of cleaning supplies. They do paper supplies, paper products like food and all of that kind of stuff. Paper um, products like food. Like food, like Rice paper, paper plates. <laughs> Good paper answer. Paper plates and things. Um, you should know that you only eat rice. As well as yeah. glue and other <laughs> products, office supplies type things. And they do a lot of electronics. They make a lot of um, cleaning machines. Hmm. See, now, uh, you, you work for your father's company, right? I used, well, I, no. No, no. <laughs> uh, uh, but your father does uh, janitorial supplies, am yes. I correct? Yes, See, this is why I'm really scared, because this could be right in her wheelhouse because of also, her family connection. Also, she's from Minnesota. I would have never gotten that. That she was from Minnesota. She's from, yeah, because she, she's not nice enough. No, no, she's pretty mean. She's a mean baby. <laughs> mean baby. Oh, don't you know, being baby. She did walk in <laughs> carrying a hot deep. dish, though. <laughs> this is this this true. All right, what do we think? Apocalypse later. Are they telling the truth or are they lying? Yeah, let's do it. Yep. We we think that the mean baby, as mean as she is, and as disproving as we are of her meanness, we think. That she is correct in her Minnesota knowledge. Ooh. However, oh. she failed to mention all of the adhesive products that helped me get through college and decorating my dorm. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, the correct answer is actually Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing <laughs> Company, close. which is close. very close to, close. to milling. 
Uh, so we're going to split those points between the teams with a little bit extra going to uh, ET2, Nocturnal Beers. Uh, the Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing Company, which was founded in Two Harbors, Minnesota in 1902. Uh, Post-its were actually created in 1977, 10 years prior to Romy and Michelle graduating high school in the movie. They were originally launched as press and peel in stores with disappointing results. But after free samples were issued in Boise, Idaho, two years later, they were relaunched as Post-its and changed the lives of office managers everywhere. And we go into our final question. This is for Apocalypse Later. And I want you to know, both teams, and I'll say, I actually think I awarded points pretty fairly this whole time. It's a four-point game. Uh, At 121 to 125, I won't say who has those points. but What nice shoes, Patrick. All right. Apocalypse Later has jumped into the lead. (laughs) I get get partial credit on those points. Jesse gets equal points. Also a compliment to me. Yeah, Yeah, but those points only go to Jesse and not (laughs) Yeah, and I'm going to donate them to my team. It is back to a four-point game. Uh, (laughs) I just dropped my pen cap, but Miles got it, so it is now tied. Uh, On a related note, Joaquin Phoenix played Johnny Cash and walked the line. Yeah, more points! It's now a one-point game. (laughs) All right. All right. So final question, and uh, this one is is for Apocalypse Later. Uh, Yeah, baby, does he make you feel groovy? That's right. It's Austin Powers, international man of mystery. Before Mike Myers found his true calling as the love guru, uh, he starred in the Austin Powers series. (laughs) Uh, he started in the Austin Power series about a sex-obsessed British Secret Service agent uh, from the 1960s. While the character of Dr. Evil in Austin Powers was famously inspired by an impression of SNL boss Lorne Michaels, Austin Powers himself also had a unique origin. How did Mike Myers come up with the character of Austin Powers? Ten points to Quincy Jones. All right. Uh, Apocalypse Later, uh, how did Mike Myers come up with the character of Austin Powers? Well, it's very important to kind of foreground this, that John C. Riley played Dewey Cox in the Dewey Cox Walk Hard story. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Oh, no points. Okay. Wow. (laughs) He's not a real musician. (laughs) Okay. Oh, wow. Uh, Mike Myers would do this around his home because he's making fun of a relative, and it made his father laugh. I can't remember if it was of his father or their relatives back in England, but that's kind of where Austin Powers came from. Ooh, so it was making fun of his relatives uh, back, in, uh, back in England. Oh, yes, exactly. What? They were mumbling. <laughs> okay, without right, what me. Do think? My, team, my, my team was sidebarring without me, which as a captain makes me nervous. But you're a baby. <laughs> we were saying. Uh, we were ju- I'm sorry, yeah. I, I can totally say this. Uh, <laughs> Um, he, no, uh, he, <laughs> Fine, no, no, no he, questions. <laughs> he, he was dunking on his relatives in Scotland, relatives? uh, in So I Married an Axe Murderer, yeah. uh, and not Austin Powers. Oh, so you're saying it's a different movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yes. that's a different You got your movie. facts yeah, but, wrong. there's no way that he'd have relatives who were also like Austin Powers and British and. Yeah, because it's like, it's the UK. They're all like neighbors. <laughs> Which is also a long-running TV show in Australia. Yeah, <laughs> but if but if he had a relative that was a spy, that person would not be allowed to tell him that they were a spy. Ergo, vis-a-vis, he wouldn't have known there was a spy. Oh, he didn't say that he was making fun of them being a spy. It's just like I, that's where the that's I think where the, the perso- main like the... joke in that movie is the spy part, right? Yeah. No, I think that's just no. the 
All right, let's let's get to real talk here. How many oh. of us quoted this movie incessantly when they were younger? Oh yeah, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 too much, yeah, too much. Yeah. And I was a baby. <laughs> <laughs> so she was just going, yeah, 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 baby. And then her parents said, oh, behave. <laughs> oh. So uh, I so, hated uh, that. <laughs> so our counter argument is that it was actually Scottish relatives. Uh, what? Where do we think the inspiration for Austin Powers? Came uh, from? The inspiration was Brian Jones, uh, the deceased member of the Rolling Stones. Ooh. Ooh, interesting. Ooh, that's a good answer. Intrigue. Uh, these are both. Yeah, we know it's a good answer. That's why we said it, Sammy. Who gave that baby a microphone? I hope someone in a haunted house takes you. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was wondering about to know. This was for, uh, this was for, this, it's only a one point game now because Miles picked up my pen cap. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, so uh, this is for, uh, this is for the win. The actual answer is. By flirting with his wife. Boo! Oh, Michael Myers oh. is driving home Boo. one day, and Burt Bacharach's The Look of Love came on the radio. Inspired by the song, when he got home, Mike Myers uh, began flirting with his wife in a British Askin, asking if Askin. she was a swinger, uh, and, if, and if he made her horny. Instead of uh, telling him to behave, uh, his wife told him to go write this character down. And three weeks later, the first draft of Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery was done. True story, he's kind of a jerk. Oh, no. I heard it from the people in Second City. <laughs> well, this, <gasps> you can edit that out if you want, but it's true. Well, we were about to nowhere. get a sponsorship from <laughs> the, Mac, the Austin Powers box set on sale. Uh, today's episode was sponsored by the Mike Myers Foundation, yeah. but they just pulled out. So I'm suddenly very disappointed that every time I say something obnoxious to my husband, he doesn't encourage me to make a screenplay out of it because I could be... A millionaire. I say a lot of annoying shit to my husband. Can, can we hear some of your character phrases, catchphrases that you've come up in oh, the last week it's or so? Mostly, it's mostly stuff like, I'm going to tickle your tummy. What? <laughs> yeah, that's so gross. I also picture you going, Natalie, I love you, but stop. <laughs> Who's a pretty bird? <laughs> it's just me being like, yes, show me your intimidating bird feathers. <laughs> I'm gonna watch you through my binoculars. <laughs> Worked for Wes. Well, uh, so awarding points based on that, uh, uh, our winners by a score of 125 to 126 are ET2 Nocturnal Yes! Yes! yes. Our very small margin. I have been Patrick Conley. These have been our panelists. Thank you so much for listening to Let Sleeping Dogs Lie. Next week, Spencer Hamilton is back in the host chair. Have a great night, everybody, and thank you for listening. Let Sleeping Dogs Lie is recorded in front of a live audience every Monday at 8 o'clock right here in Chicago at the Comedy Sports Theater. If you'd like to see the show live, go to cszchicago.com and use the promo code FETCH for half off your ticket price. Let Sleeping Dogs Lie is an arcade audio production. Find us at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at LSDL Show. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Our show is produced by Spencer Hamilton, Patrick Connolly, and Rich Camelucci. Written by Spencer Hamilton, Patrick Connolly, Connor Doyle, Rob Grabowski, Zach Mast, and Mandy Sellers. Hosted by Spencer Hamilton. Our panel this week. Ali Stark performs regularly at the Comedy Sports Theater. Miles Potter performs with his improv teams, Ska and Buttermilk, and can be heard on the Riverside Falls podcast, right here on Arcade Audio. Natalie Younger co-hosts the podcast Shared History, which can also be found on Arcade Audio. Daryl Monty performs sketch comedy as part of Fiasco at the Crowd Theater, Fridays at 10 p.m. 
Jesse Gomez can be seen performing with Comedy Sports Chicago and with Cop Squad at the Playground Theater. And as always, Sammy Tamimi can be found all around Chicago, performing, directing, teaching, and being a nerd. Let Sleeping Dogs Lie is made possible in part by listeners like you. Check out patreon.com slash arcadeaudio for more info on how you can help. Thanks for listening to Let Sleeping Dogs Lie, the world's only game show. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net. Hey there, I'm Natalie. And I'm Cass. And we're a couple of geeky gals who love history. And each other. Aww. But we didn't always love the history we learned in class. You know, it often seemed to me that I lugged that big book back and forth from school in my Jansport, and it didn't even have the most interesting parts. Oh, uh, I didn't carry my books to and from school because I had a note that said I needed a copy for home and school because of my scoliosis. Yeah, that tracks. Anyway, that big edited school-approved text was fine. But it was too limited. And neat. And convenient. And you can't hear our air quotes through your speakers, but you can hear our voices and share in our bits as we present Shared History. A podcast that explores the people and stories that your history books may have glossed over. Whitewashed. Manwashed. Mm. Or left out completely. We are not historians. We're just two dumb, dumb friends and comedians. But by the power vested in us by Google, Wikipedia, and our library cards and arcade audio, we're creating a shared history. Coming July 2nd, subscribe now on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SharedPod. Share you later.